Hey guys, I'm Tamara Melton. And I'm Deanna Bellany. We are the co-founders of Diversify Dietetics, a nonprofit community dedicated to increasing the racial and ethnic diversity in the field of nutrition and dietetics. Welcome to Feed Me the Facts. It's Tamara. So are you somebody who fell in love with nutrition because you were an athlete in high school or college, or maybe you were training for like a marathon or something, and you started getting curious about nutrition because you wanted to learn how to just be able to perform better in whatever your fitness goal or exercise goal was. So we've talked to, through Diversify, a lot of RDs to be and also practicing RDs who are interested in looking into working with professional athletes or college athletes somewhere in the space of sports nutrition. So I was really excited when we had the opportunity to be able to have Pratik Patel on our RDN Spotlight series, and he shared with us his experience, kind of how he got to where he is today. Pratik actually works for the New York Giants. So the New York Giants, if you're not stateside, they are, or if you don't even know or care about football at all, <laughs> there were some people out there I know, um, he actually works for New York Giants. Like I said, they are a professional sports team for the National Football League. That would be American football. So Pratik didn't start out even knowing about nutrition, which I think is really interesting about his story. But he is currently the director of performance nutrition and assistant strength and conditioning coach for the New York Giants. So today's episode is a little bit longer than usual. But Pratik has so much great information for anybody who is interested in going into sports nutrition, especially if you want to work for a college team or a professional sports team. So if that is you, sit back, settle in, get some tea or some coffee, grab your notebook, and get ready to take some notes because this is an episode that will be full of so much information that will be great for you if you plan to go into this area of practice. So let's jump right in. Pratik, thank you so much for being on our Feed Me the Facts podcast episode for this week. No, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Glad to be here. So I have to tell you this. Um, I'm, I'm fangirling over you for my husband because <laughs> <laughs> we are both Duke alum. And okay. Are, All right. Oh, yeah. So now that Daniel Jones is quarterback for now for, for the Giants, we are fangirling over this. Well, I guess he's fangying over it. So I just want to put that out there. Um, so we are now Giants fans in our house. So I'm excited to have you on. And I was really excited that um, we were able to get in touch with each other to have you on our RDN Spotlight series. So if you guys haven't checked it out already, you can go onto our blog and read about Pratik. But once I read about your story that you shared, I just thought it'd be really cool to have you um, come onto the actual podcast and kind of talk about how you got to where you are working with a professional sports team. So let's jump right into it. Okay. And um, can you tell us a little bit where you are from and how did you get interested in dietetics and nutrition in the first place? Yeah, I'm originally from uh, Kansas, grew up in a small suburb of Kansas City called Shawnee on the eastern part of the state and grew up playing a lot of different sports, you know, soccer, basketball. So I was really active when I was younger, you know, one of those kids that would be out until sundown just playing in the street or with all different neighbors and all the other kids on the block until my mom came and found me and yelled at me because I was supposed to be home for dinner. But the unfortunate thing, like a lot of kids nowadays, you know, as I was getting a little bit older into middle school, into high school, I stopped caring about sports and started getting into other things like, you know, video games and 
being a lot less active and more sedentary. And with that, you know, you get a subsequent weight gain and development of some bad habits. And that led into high school. So, you know, I wasn't playing sports at that time, even though I was still a big fan. And, you know, high school is a really impressionable time in kids' lives. You know, it can be a really positive experience. It can be just an average or it could be, you know, a very uh, poor or traumatic experience. And, you know, for those that aren't like anybody else, if you're not a popular kid, then you're one of the outcast kids. So, you know, I was going through a period of just trying to discover myself, find myself, not necessarily super happy with how high school was going, what my social life was like, because, you know, I was this overweight, nerdy kid who liked sports and was still into it, but wasn't really able to play it because I had been away from it for so long and had developed all these bad habits. So, you know, through a few different reasons, you know, seeing family members, you know, aunts and uncles and grandparents struggle with their health and coupling that with, you know, my own issues with developing through adolescence and not being super happy with my social status in high school and how things were going. I made a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm the only one who can change this if I want to get better. So I, you know, I just made a decision point blank flat out that I'm going to start changing my eating habits. I want to get back in shape because I want to see if this is something that can actually help improve my confidence, self-esteem, the way I look, and maybe even get back into sports. So, you know, over the course of about a year and a half, two years, I was able to do that, you know, doing all the wrong things. You know, I didn't really have anybody to guide me during this process. You know, I was reading magazines that I could just get my hands on, things that you just pick up at the grocery store or at GNC. So it's a lot of just muscle magazines, you know, things that are just pushing supplements and not knowing exactly what's the proper way to eat, to lose weight, get in shape. and you know, it just, it ended up working out in my favor and I was able to get in shape, you know, dropped a lot of weight, started getting back into the groove of, you know, getting ready to play sports. So I was able to join the football team and finished out high school on a more positive note. And, you know, that, that decision that I had made had really changed my outlook in life and put me on a really positive track. And I figured, wow, you know, if I can do it and a lot of other people might be able to do the same thing. So that's where my fascination began with not only nutrition, but also exercise as well because of the changes I was able to see within myself. So with that, I ended up uh, staying in state to go to school, you know, because I excelled in math and science. I enrolled at Kansas State in the mechanical engineering program and was able to kind of get put with honors distinction. So I didn't have a full scholarship, had a partial scholarship. But that first year was really tough because you know, my heart really wasn't set into learning about mechanical engineering. I wasn't as into it as all the other students and wasn't doing very well in the classes because I didn't really, it wasn't a good fit for me, but it was just one of those next steps that, you know, I was expected to take and coming from, you know, a background where a lot of the family members were either doctors or dentists or in the medical field. You know, it's one of those things where if you're first generation born in the States from a family that has a background uh, outside, you know, you don't really necessarily branch off into very um, distinct career paths because, you know, a lot of our family members may try that before or, you know, they only associate success with certain career fields, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, dentist, what have you. So, you know, that first year was tough for me, but I knew my heart wasn't set on sticking with it. And I had a roommate who was in uh, the nutrition and exercise science program at Kansas State. And he was doing that because that 
was kind of his pre-physical therapy path. And he had mentioned, we had a conversation that, you know, you're really into nutrition and exercise. Why don't you switch over and do this? Because you'd be so much happier and you'd be so much better at the classwork. I thought, you know, that was a good idea. It was definitely the path that I wanted to take and learn about. So I talked to a couple of advisors and that dual major was, uh, it's 155 credit hours. So I was already down a year. So it didn't look like it was a really good option for me to just to jump straight into that because I would end up being in school for another five years or so. But one of the advisors had mentioned that, you know, I don't have to necessarily do the dual path role. I can just pick one or the other. And nutrition was the area I was always interested in a little bit more. And after talking to a few advisors, I ended up getting into the dietetics program at Kansas State. So, you know, spent the next four years finishing up that program, had a really great experience, loved the classes, loved the teachers, loved what I was learning and knew that, all right, you know, I think what I want to do is become a dietitian once I match with the dietetic internship. And then, you know, my end goal was to end up working at a gym or a training facility where I could potentially help people or clients deal with their nutrition issues, but also, you know, maybe get a personal training certification. And this was years ago, so I didn't know I would end up where I am currently now. So fortunate enough to finish up that program. I had a really good experience there. I applied to a dietetic internship my <laughs> first time around. So just one. Wow. For everybody yeah, listening out there, that's not the way to go. You know, <laughs> I, I figured because I had some decent grades, a little bit of work experience, and I was a male minority in the field that I would be a shoe in to be selected for a program. But obviously, it's a very competitive field. And you just have more students that are trying to secure just a small handful of spots that I obviously wasn't selected. And I was kind of heartbroken at the time. And so I remember that night after you know, learning I hadn't matched and trying to put together my information to send it out to other programs that had open spots you know, thinking to myself, you know, there's only a couple more months until graduation. Like, what am I going to do? And what am I, and not only that, what are my parents going to say? Because they obviously weren't necessarily. Right, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, did they, did they, they, were, they could be like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a field that, you know, they hadn't had a lot of experience with and didn't know anything about. We don't have any friends or family members in mm -hmm. the field. So they were, they were pretty skeptical about, or right, what are you actually going to do once you finish up school? Are you going to be able to get a job? Are you going to be able to support yourself financially? Does it have that much of an outlook? So they were obviously disappointed. Uh, and, and it was tough because once I finished up school, I moved back home. And I was living with my parents, kind of helping them out at their business. They were in a dry cleaners for 30 years. So, you know, kind of trying to figure out what my next step was. You know, ended up getting just some jobs locally at you know, the one was an online marketing place. Another one was, you know, doing retail and just trying to figure out, all right, you know, I've got to wait until the next round of um, applications are available for me to just apply to a bunch of different internships. So just trying to figure out, is this exactly what I want to do? Because I didn't know if, you know, there was a good job opportunity back home in Kansas that if I was able to secure it and, you know, it was a decent salary, I might just end up sticking with that and not finishing out the whole dietetic process, but luckily um, applied to a bunch of different programs and was able to match with the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. So that was, you know, a big step for me because even right before that actually happened, I had the opportunity to interview with Chipotle, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. I'm sure a lot of people are too. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, it's a very successful company. They've done really well over the past 10, 15 years. 
and then it could have been you know a store manager position which would have went to like district manager and on and on and on so if i would have actually went for that then i probably wouldn't have looked back and try to chase the whole dietetic portion of it so it was weird i was driving to the interview and something in the back of my head said you know is this exactly what you want because once you you know if you do get the job which seemed pretty likely you're not going to look back you're not going to go back to school you're not going to you know, be able to go to an internship, sit for the RD exam, then that whole part of your life is going to be over. And I kind of just stopped on the side of the road. I'm like, nah, I need to see this thing through. Partly, some of it was just because I didn't want to seem defeated. And another part of me was just saying, hey, this is, this is what you're calling is, this is what you need to be doing. So luckily, I didn't actually make it to that second interview. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. But Ended up going to Mayo, had a really good experience there. It was an accelerated program where they crammed everything we needed to do in seven months, basically. And it was pretty rigorous. There was only three of us, and uh, it was a great learning experience. Had the opportunity to have an elective rotation, went to Houston where my sister was, and was able to work with the dietitian who was, uh, at that time, contracted with the Houston Texans. And she'd been working with Rice University and a few of the other pro sports teams out there. So that was really my first foray into like team sports nutrition and what life is like and what are the expectations of a dietitian who are working with athletes. Because I've been, you know, like I said, active for a while. I've been able to, you know, figure out workouts on my own and nutrition on my own. But obviously that's completely different when you're working with a specific population group like, you know, elite and high level athletes. So after I finished up my time at Mayo, you know, she gave me some advice to say, if you're going back to Kansas, seek out some of the dietitians that are working with sports teams there and see if, you know, you'll be able to work as an intern or a volunteer, just do whatever you have to do to gain experience. And then maybe you might be able to find something or take the next step. So I ended up taking her advice, was able to do a little bit of volunteer and intern work with you know, the dietitian at the time who was contracted with the Chiefs and the Royals. And then uh, Marini Bird, who was working at KU as their full-time sports dietitian who's now at the University of Virginia just to see what their responsibilities and roles were like you know what the necessary skills that are needed to be able to succeed in the position and at that time I just I wasn't ready you know I didn't have enough experience I didn't have enough knowledge and they had also mentioned that you know if you can't find a full-time job then you can make yourself look a little bit more marketable or attractive if you have a background in kinesiology and exercise physiology because you know schools might not be hiring for sports dietitians teams might not be hiring for sports dietitians but you know sometimes they might be looking for a strength coach and if you have that additional background as a dietitian who knows how to work with athletes then that might be something that a team would look more towards than just hiring a plain strength coach so i was like all right that was, that's good advice to apply to a bunch of different uh, graduate programs and was fortunate enough to get accepted into Kansas State and was able to be a graduate teaching assistant there as well. So for two years in the Department of Kinesiology, I was a graduate teacher at K-State working in the Functional Intensity Training Lab. So not only was I taking the classes, teaching some of the lower level, 100, 200 level classes, but also getting a chance to do some research and do some actual uh, coaching as well, which was great. So kind of really rounding out my skill set and learning from my major advisor, uh, Katie Heinrich, who's phenomenal, still there. They're doing some amazing things out of that lab and out of that department, which is uh, kind of known around the world. And, you know, that was really 
kind of like step one in the development of myself because I also reached out to a lot of the different coaches at Kansas State and some of the strength coaches to tell them, you know, this is who I am. These are the experiences I've had. I'm more than happy to do whatever you need me to do, you know, for free. I'll be your sports dietitian. Just let me know what areas you need help with. And, you know, I'll, I'll find time in my schedule to do it because I still needed to continue to, to gain experience and work on my skill set. And luckily the men's basketball strength coach was like, yeah, you know, I've got a, a plate full of things that you need to do, but I don't have enough time to do it. And somebody like you could kind of help me out. So I was able to work with the team through him. And that was a good experience because it gave me the opportunity to work with collegiate athletes and get an idea of what their mindset is. You know, it's mm-hmm. a little bit different than everybody else because everybody thinks that, you know, athletes at the college level, the pro level, the are really in tune with their bodies and they take care of themselves really well. The truth is that's not true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them get by just based on their skill and their personality. And there's much more physically gifted, genetically gifted compared to everybody else. And that's what's helped them to progress. And sometimes, you know, the reason we have coaches and all these people in these different fields is because they don't know a lot of these other things and they need somebody to kind of check them and look out for them and teach them these things. So that, that was a really good experience for two years, was able to work with them until I finished out my time at K-State, you know, did a, an exercise intervention study. That was my thesis. And at that time, the men's basketball coach ended up going to South Carolina, kind of took his whole staff with him. And, you know, I stayed back because, you know, I was only working with the strength coach through them. And at that time, a lot of universities were hiring for, you know, either their first full-time sports dietitian or looking for somebody in a more advanced role. So I was able to interview at a bunch of different places, which was great because I had some experience under my belt doing all the different things I was doing at K-State. And I felt like I was ready for my first real full-time role and was fortunate enough to get uh, an interview with uh, Michigan State, really liked what they had set up with their program. They had some really good things going in their athletic department, but the sports nutrition area needed a lot of work. And I felt like I was up to the task. So I was fortunate enough to get the job and spent, you know, three years there. It was a, it was a contract position. So sports nutrition was put under radiology where they had all of their sports med docs. So it wasn't directly in the athletic department like most schools have now. So it was kind of just working, you know, 10, 15 hours with some of the major sports they had there, even though they have 23 sports, 700 student athletes, just trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of build buy-in and get everybody on board to where they feel very comfortable with what you know nutrition can offer the athletes and maybe they'd want to invest more so it was a little bit of just going out on a limb and saying I'm able to do my part and you know not prove value because everybody knows that nutrition is important but provide value and showing that I know what I'm doing that maybe they'd be able to invest a little bit more and increase what I'd be able to do with the athletes so that was a lot of what I had to do that first year was just making sure that I'm working well alongside not only all the athletes, but also all the coaches, strength coaches, athletic trainers that are involved. The administrators are happy to where, you know, they want to increase my role with all of the sports and then what that department that I was working with ended up doing. But besides that, I was doing some teaching, doing some research, and also training some of the youth athletes around mid-Michigan in like a holistic uh, performance enhancement capacity. So... You know, the first year went pretty well. 
to where they bumped up my time to three quarter. We brought on a GA to kind of help me out with some of the other sports. It was kind of like a divide and conquer where I'd spend the majority of my time with football, but then see a little bit of men's basketball and women's basketball and then hockey and then try to make my way around to like tennis and soccer and golf. So it was a lot of just trying to figure out how to navigate a lot of these different things. But there was a positive response from the athletes and the coaches mm-hmm. where it was a little bit difficult for me to keep up with that. And then everything else on the back end with the research and the training yeah. and teaching to where, you know, my supervisors were like, all right, we'll allow you to kind of go full tilt this one direction with the athletes. And then they'll kind of help out on the back end with all the other responsibilities, which in turn ended up working out in my favor. You know, that second year we had a really good uh, finish to the season, football and basketball, women's basketball. So usually when the major sports are doing well, that means, you know, revenue is being generated for the athletic department, which means Mm. that they can invest a little bit more. So that was the hope going into my third year. But unfortunately they didn't see it that way. You know, I felt I was ready to really take the reins of the department and run it myself because at that time we were working with the nutrition and dietetic department on campus. So working with the dietetic interns through Michigan State, working with the nutrition students. So there was a lot of help to where I didn't necessarily have to do some of these mundane day-to-day tasks so I could spend more time you know, kind of solving problems, being with the athletes, putting together plans instead of just, you know, kind of doing your, your stocking and moving the product and working on logistics of things. But, you know, at that time they weren't ready to commit and I, I was hoping that they were, which was okay. But, you know, I, I was ready to take the next step and they weren't. So, you know, because we weren't on the same page in my mind, I'm like, all right, if there's another opportunity out there that would allow me to do this, then I want to make sure I take advantage of it because I'm ready for it. And I was randomly looking at the NCAA job site because I, I would typically do that to see if there are any GA ships or intern positions posted so I can let some of the uh, students and dietetic interns that I was working mm-hmm. with know so they can apply, you know, just so they would get the opportunity to make sure their resume is up to date. They can put together a cover letter, submit everything and get the opportunity to hopefully have a phone interview or an interview in person. If they don't get it, then that's okay because they've already gone through that process and they can use what they've built upon to continue to get better. And hopefully, you know, the next time they have an interview, they'll be more prepared. And I saw on the site that the University of Oregon was hiring a director of sports nutrition to replace uh, the person who was in that position before and made it to the NFL. And I thought, wow, this is a school that I admired from afar because of, you know, what they were able to do with, the relationship with Nike and Phil Knight and how Chip Kelly had kind of brought this new progressive attitude and thought to their football team with bringing in a lot of sports performance ideas, changing the way they practiced, the way they recruited and how that was trickling down to a lot of the other teams. I thought it was incredible what he was doing. And that was something I wanted to be a part of and, you know, applied and was fortunate enough to get the job. So now I go from kind of trying to build my, Right. You know, because uh, you knowledge never, base. Had you ever made it to a full time position when you were at Michigan, or not with athletics? So my 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 role was full time through yeah. that department, but not with athletics and yeah. working with the athletes. Mm-hmm. So you know, this this opportunity at Oregon was the complete one eighty. So now I wasn't kind of like put in this box and told what to do. And now it's like, all right, 
you've got to figure it all out. You have complete control over everything. Here's your budget. This is your department. This is the staff you have. These are the areas you're going to oversee. These are the allocations and X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, you can never be ready to be thrown into a situation like that unless you've had that experience before, but that can be said of anything. So, you know, it was, it was an incredible experience, you know, had the opportunity to have a really good first season, learned a lot along the way, you know, especially from the administrative side, since I didn't have any of those duties when I was at Michigan State. So, mm -hmm. you know, learning how to deal with the ADs, because I had a really good uh, supervisor and boss who was a part of the hiring committee who had worked at the university for a really long time, who knew the ins and outs of, you know, everything. And he was a huge advocate and supporter for me. And I learned a lot from him and he was pretty hands off where I had a lot of autonomy to do what I needed to do. Cause he felt that, you know, from the experiences that I had and what I had shown him that I was going to try to make the best decision and the smart decision and the right decision, which was great because it was a lot of me getting a chance to try to come up with something or what I thought was going to work. And, you know, things work, things didn't work. So it's a lot of just learning by myself, which was good. I didn't need to be spoon fed and told what to do because I think that's not the best way for people to learn. So fortunately, no epic failures, which was good. That's good. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of really good collaboration with the medical staff and mm -hmm. the performance staff because at Michigan State, I was really close with the strength staff and worked more through them on a day-to-day -day basis. So that, you know, kind of started to round out my experiences with working with all these different groups. And, you know, we had a couple of really good seasons, um, you know, had my own struggles with coming into a situation that was already staffed, trying to figure out, you know, are these the best people to move forward with the plan and vision that I have what this department can be, you know, and it's not always going to be a perfect situation like that, especially, you know, if they leave, you bring in new people, these new people aren't necessarily what you thought they would be. And, you know, continuing to figure out the whole process until my third year finally got it right, which is great. And the people that I hired are still there doing really good things, taking the department to another level, uh, you know, but after that third season with the team, because what we ended up doing was kind of dividing and conquering. So everybody had their own specific roles with certain sports that way, you know, there's not too much overlap in everybody, each one of the sports and each one of the athletes actually gets you know, specific resources and care instead of everybody focusing on one major sport, which sometimes happens, you know, it's easy to do that. But, you know, one thing my boss wanted me to do was just make sure every athlete gets treated the same, which was great and which I really liked because I didn't feel it was like that at Michigan State where the focus was more on the major sports and, mm -hmm. and the other ones weren't necessarily getting what they could and should get. Mm -hmm. uh, but that that third season was tough. You know, we didn't meet expectations, did pretty poorly. The coaching staff got fired and, you know, they brought in a new coach and just trying to see how this thing was going to play out uh, from then on. And at that time too, I figured, you know, I was happy with my role, you know, it was growing a little bit here and there, but I still felt there was more that I needed to do and learn. And I didn't know if that Oregon was the place for me to continue to do that. And fortunately, I was uh, brought on a panel at the Combine in 2016, spoke to them about, you know, performance and technology and kind of spun it with my own nutrition experiences with what we had been doing at Oregon, working with the athletes and then met the head strength coach who was at Notre Dame and Michigan prior, who just got hired by the Giants, Aaron Woman, and, you know, met him briefly at an event. 
didn't think much of it. He had actually worked at Michigan State before, but that was before I had ended up getting there. But he was still um, in touch with, you know, all of the other strength coaches that are still there. And, yeah, and the Giants were, you know, looking for a dietitian with a strength and conditioning background. And I felt that, you know, that put together both areas that I really loved and could pose, you know, the next new challenge where I could really learn a lot from and grow. And so I was fortunate enough to get an interview with them and then flew out there. And this was actually my first time realizing that the New York Giants do not play in New York, but actually in Jersey. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, which is similar to the Kansas City Chiefs because they play in Missouri, not in Kansas, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, had had the trip out there and was fortunate enough to get the job. And I guess now here I am, you know, we're four games into the season. We're two and two. Uh, your guy, Daniel, is our starting quarterback, and he's, he's done awesome. We love him. I just can't wait to see the team play again. We had a really nice win over a division opponent yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things are obviously looking up. We're hoping to continue this momentum. So that just a really – I've thought a lot of things as you're going. I'm kind of fascinated by your story because it's very different than any other dietitian, honestly, I've spoken to in the whole 13 years I've been practicing (laughs) because it's so interesting that I hear that people say they want to work in sports nutrition. And it's very clear from what you're describing that you have to understand the business of professional college and then professional sports. And just listening to you, obviously you were into sports when you were a kid and you paid attention to it in football and things like that. Um, But you we're very much following programs and following the teams and, and seeing how um, certain leadership was, was actually um, running the organizations and things like that. How critical do you think that having paying attention to and having an understanding of the business of sports is to wanting to be successful and getting your foot in the door as a dietitian to work in, in sports nutrition? I think it's huge. You know, at this level or even the college level, whether you're a trainer, whether you're a dietitian, whether you're a strength coach or a sports scientist, you know, it's not necessarily how many degrees you have, how many certs you have behind your name. It's how much do you understand about sports in and of itself? You know, how it operates, how the athletes work, how the coaches work, what are the mentalities of athletes? How do you deal with them? How do you deal with all the other staff members and coaches that you are going to be working with? Because, it, you know, everybody can get degrees and certs. That's the easy thing, really. It's can you mold your personality and your work ethic and your ability to communicate to, to meet the needs of, you know, modern day college and professional athletes, because now we're getting into the social media generation and it's everybody wants a first place ribbon. And if you can't get it, everybody gets, you know, something, even if you haven't necessarily earned it. And I think it's huge is just being a student, not only of, your own specific specialty, but also, you know, student of sport and a student of mm-hmm. you know, learning the art of communication and dealing with all different types of characters, you know, as athletes can so be, so to speak, and managing all of the different things that come your way and being very adaptable. You know, we all come up with these plans in place and we have to be ready and the schedule is set, but it never, nothing ever really goes to plan. Something happens, something changes. Same thing with, you know, what the athletes have to deal with on the field. We know we go through practices, we put together these scripts, we have our play sheets, and then that kind of goes out the window once all the balls start rolling and everything starts 
colliding. So definitely learning about the business of sport is huge. I think it's one of the more overlooked things that, mm-hmm. you know, entry level dietitians or students or coaches really seem to fail. And that's why a lot of them don't necessarily get to where they want to be is because they're just really too fixated on learning the material instead of how do I apply this material to the people that I'm working with? Or how do I work with the different groups outside of the athletes that I see every day and I work with every day? Mm -hmm. So what kind of qualities would you say, you mentioned working with, with athletes and I can imagine with pro athletes, depending on how much celebrity status they have or Mm -hmm. how important they are on the team or whatever that is, but what kind of qualities are needed to be successful when you're working with the athletes and then also with the rest of the staff of an organization? What does somebody's thinking and listening to this, like, well, I still think that this is what I want to do. What, what, what's kind of the make or break qualities that you would say would make it, this be a good career pathway for a dietitian? Yeah, I'd say one is you have to have a love of sport. You know, it's, it's at the end of the day, all we get graded on is wins and losses. And if we have a winning season, then really we're not on the chopping block. If we have a losing season, then yeah, we're going to be evaluated even a little bit harsher. But if you have a love for sport, then that can kind of really get you through some of the tough days. Uh, I think another is just making sure you're developing a really good work ethic. And what by that, I mean, you know, for the past 10 years or so, of work from you know 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. plus or minus an hour or two there pretty much for the entire year to where I don't really have vacations like everybody else does you know past couple of years we've played on Thanksgiving you know we play the week of Christmas so we don't have those luxuries to get a chance to go back and spend time with friends and family or go wherever we want until the off season hits but even then we're still you know in the facility trying to figure out ways to get the team better and get our players and athletes better and get ourselves better. Uh, I think you've got to be patient because everybody wants to come in knowing what they've known and learn what apply what they've learned from other coaches or other dietitians and what they've learned in school. But really we're only hired to provide a, a small performance benefit to the team. And when you add all these pieces together, it can be a positive contribution to the team. So we're not hired for wins and losses. So if you put a plan in place, just know that it might take some time for athletes to buy in, for an organization to buy in. But again, it's, you're not the reason why the team's going to win or lose. So you don't have to freak out if, you know, everybody's not doing exactly what you want them to do Mm -hmm. uh, from day one. And I think another is just to be very confident and charismatic in what you do to be confident in the information that you've learned and how you're going to communicate it to the athlete and be charismatic and, how you deliver it because, you know, these, these guys are, or guys and girls are very strong-willed. They're tough. Sometimes it's difficult to get through to them. And if you're not confident in what you do, you don't seem like you know very much, then they're not going to listen to you. And then that word spreads throughout the locker room. And then you have a whole team full of people that mm. you know, don't really trust you. Hmm. Uh, those are a few just off the top of my head. I mean, I probably list yeah, different qualities, but I don't want to spend <laughs> two hours. Good, but no, I think that's good to to know because I think, as with anything, I think you know, as we go through our internships, right? We always have this idea of, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And I think, um, sports nutrition and especially working with college teams or pro teams, is put on this pedestal and it's looked like, oh, that's such a that's a dream job. And people are probably thinking of the glamorous part of, oh, we get to travel here and there, but 
it's like you said, you're working on holidays. You're working on week. The times when we're chilling on the couch watching football is when y'all are working. <laughs> you guys yeah. are working during that time. So keeping that in mind. And then also the personalities. I mean, I, I could only imagine the personalities, but like you said also too, making sure that you are, your reputation in the locker room is that they want to listen to you because, you know, nutrition is very important and we know that, but even in situations like working with athletes, it may not be the, the, the component that everyone's thinking about first thing. And so you really have to prove it. So I think that everything you said was, was really important and critical because I think it's, it's just important to be honest with oneself about what your abilities are or what you're willing to work to create within yourself. Um, yeah. And it's fun because I had this conversation with uh, one of our coaches yesterday or this morning can't remember all these days blend together and we're just talking about you know the state of the team and how they've been playing really well just as of late you know obviously when you're not winning people think that you know there's something wrong but you know over the past year our GM and coach have put together a really really good squad and we're continuing to get better and they've they've played really hard and they fought till the end and they've had high energy levels and they haven't quit and guys are making it through games in really tough conditions and he was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's why you were brought here to help out with that. Because I'm not a part of the wins and losses, but my role is to make sure that our guys are physically ready, high energy, they're, you know, hydrated, we're coming up with recovery strategies for them, and we're finding out ways to implement them in a way that they're going to abide by it. Because as you said, there's, there's so much more on their minds than just... Mm-hmm nutrition and that's probably one of the last things they're going to think about as they go throughout their day even at the college level you know these they're thinking about meetings with the coaches thinking about their family and thinking about money and thinking about the phone uh, college kids are thinking about classes and tutors and not being late mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to get in trouble and then they have to deal with um, all the different staff members that are trying to get a hold of them so you've got you know medical staff is trying to tell them stuff uh, coaching staff, you've got nutrition and strength and conditioning staff, performance staff, you have PR and communications and mm. video staff. Everybody's trying to tell them something. So if you, you know, you have a really good session with an athlete, you had a really good, you know, one-on-one, did a quick assessment because you know, you'll never get more than 10 minutes alone with these guys because wow. they don't want to sit in an office to do a full 60 minute assessment. Like that's, I don't think I've ever done that in the past yeah. 10 years, you know, maybe 30 or 40 minutes, but that's about it. And the second they leave, maybe their coach calls them into their office and then just, you know, yells at them, rips them. So everything you talked about, they've forgotten. Gone out the window. <laughs> it's gone out the window. So I think in the sense that, you know, if they try to teach us their playbook and they're trying to teach us the intricacies of the entire defense in a 30 minute session, like you're only going to be able to get one or two things out of it and you might forget it. The same thing we're teaching them. Like we're the experts on the subject matter, not them. They're going through a lot of different things. We really have to figure out what are the one or two things that they need to focus on now and how can I bring this information across to them so that they feel it's important and what can I do during the day to make sure that they're setting themselves up for success. So if you tell them to eat this, this, and this, but then it's not in front of their face when they've got – 10 seconds to run to a meeting or mm-hmm. only a minute in between, then, you know, you're there, you're not helping them out. Right. Understanding that there's so much more, like they're human. There's so much more going on in their lives besides the importance of nutrition. Right. 
So I want to shift a little bit. That's all really interesting and kind of talk about what, um, kind of going back to what you described about your, um, your schedule. Um, and I think about, I mean, we're huge in football in our family, in our house. So I'm um, college pro everything. So, but I think not everybody who's listening to this podcast, maybe. So I think just um, now with your current role that you're in, what does a typical year look like for you? And then I'm going to jump in a moment after you describe that and kind of talk about now that you're actually in the season, but kind of a typical year, what does that look like for you um, and what you do? Yeah, it just depends on how far the team goes. Obviously, you know, knock on wood, we have the opportunity to get to the playoffs and you'll continue to go as long as the team is, is playing and hasn't been knocked out. But once the season ends, there's somewhat of a, I guess you can call it a dead period or a no contact period to where all of the players don't have to report until off-season training begins, which is generally mid-April or the third week in April, depending on if you're on a team with a new coach, because then they can actually schedule one to two weeks of extra practice because, you know, there's more information and teaching and learning that's going on with, mm -hmm. you know, new schemes and new coordinators. But that dead period uh, doesn't mean that we're off. You know, we still have a handful of players that might be injured we're continuing the rehab, so they're going to be around the facility, and they're required to. We have a lot of guys that still live in the area because they've either bought houses or condos and moved their families, and they're more than welcome to come train at the facility. And we obviously encourage it because you know we know what they're going to go through when they return for off-season training, as opposed to if they went to a warmer location, you know, down to Florida or Texas or California and, right. and trained at a training facility because sometimes mm -hmm. the guys just need a getaway. And we, we completely understand that. And the vets that come back in shape and ready to go, we don't have to worry about them. We know that they're doing what they need to be doing. And some guys will take, you know, two, three, four weeks off just to decompress and go on vacation. But, you know, the hope is that they get right back into the mindset of training and getting ready for off-season training because again you know being a football player is their job and we want to make sure that they're doing any and everything that they can to be as effective as possible at that job and not you know increase their risk for an injury or something bad happening or not being ready to go once we start because you know back in the heyday of football whenever teams would get together for off-season training or training camp that's when players would get in shape but that that's not the case anymore players have to come in shape because coaches aren't gonna you know take time out of the schedule to cut down practice because you know they have everything planned out leading up until that first preseason game and then leading up to that first regular season game so for us it's kind of doing a reevaluation of the entire year you know doing any specific uh research or you know going to any meetings that might be happening or conferences because once off-season training starts and the season starts, you know, there's a lot of really good conferences scheduled, but we can't make it out there because, you know, we're working every single day of the week because we play on Sunday and every day is scheduled to specifically play a role leading up to game day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when, you know, we do site visits. People come and visit from all over the world if they happen to be in town just because they're close by to us because we're not too far away from New York City. Uh, we're actually also gearing up for the combine, which is at the end of February. So all of us have some specific roles of what we do when we're there, you know, uh, just playing our role there and then just getting ready for when off-season training happens. So our, our hours aren't too bad, you know, it's 7 a.m., 5 p.m., 
just normal mm-hmm. working hours, five days a week, and then weekends are off, which is great, which allows, you know, a lot of the coaches, a lot of staff members to have more time with their families mm-hmm. and maybe even, you know, get away for a weekend or explore the city. And then when we return, when the team returns in April for off-season training, that's when we're, it's broken up into different phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, you know, there were specific restrictions on what the players can do at that time, you know, how many hours they're in the building, what the practices can look like. Usually it's just a lot of strength and conditioning sessions, making sure that we're gearing them up for the OTA practices. So that's the main thing is just trying to figure out what kind of shape these guys are coming back in. And, you know, fingers crossed, praying to God that guys aren't 15 pounds overweight because it does happen. And, you know, we can't have direct contact with them during those dead periods. But if they had any questions, if they wanted to reach out to us, they have to initiate the contact. Okay. So it's kind of, it, that was written in the last CBA. And, you know, as you probably heard or know right now, the NFL Players Association and the owners are collaborating and put together the new CBA, which is supposed to go into effect in 2020. So hopefully they can come to proper agreements and be smart about what's in the CBA, because if not, then we won't have a season next year. (laughs) Hopefully that's going well on both sides. But yeah, it's just trying to see, you know, what shape these guys are in doing assessments, you know, whether it's body composition, weights, blood biomarker testing, and then just coming up with as many interventions or, you know, teachable lessons or opportunities that we can to just get them to where they need to be if they're not where they need to be. And that lasts for about nine, 10 weeks. And then there's a short break, five weeks before training camp starts. So again, you know, we're worried about, are these guys staying in shape? Are they going to training facilities and doing what they need to be doing? Because our first practice of training camp is going to be similar to the last practice, our last OTA. Mm-hmm. So we hope that they haven't had any dip in, you know, any of the player workload that they've accumulated. They're still doing their high speed running, accumulating specific yardage, because what happens is if they haven't done anything appropriate or they've been a little lazy or they didn't go someplace that trained them well enough, you know, you see higher, probably the highest increases in injury risk those first two weeks of training camp, because again, coaches aren't just going to, Mm-hmm. dumb down practice for the five or six guys that come back out of shape you know there's no time for that because once we start training camp you know we're two weeks in our first preseason game is there mm-hmm. which is kind of cool so we got four preseason games the roster gets cut down from 90 to 53 we signed the practice squad and then uh we're in season is exactly where we're at right now 17 weeks including the bye week so what are your a lot more yeah (laughs) so i can only imagine like that i mean the the pace of what these these 17 weeks are like and like you said if you guys um get into the playoffs and then beyond that so what is what's a typical week we're right in the thick of it right now so what's a typical week look like for you um during regular season it's just based on what the schedule is and our our you know chris sherman does an awesome job of taking into account you know, how much the team is doing on the field. And it's not, you know, super laid back like some teams are where they have walk through Wednesday, but it's not, we're driving them into the ground to where they're just getting beat up and they're just not ready and prepared for game day. So it's a little bit different than what a lot of colleges have adopted, which is kind of like the Chip Kelly philosophy. Well, what our, our schedule looks like, so say we play Sunday. Monday, we'll bring the team in for a lift. 
everybody lifts. There's a little bit of film, a couple meetings, and then the guys are out the door early. Tuesday's an off day for them, but guys still come in. And, you know, some will get a lift in. Some will just move around, stretch, do the recovery modalities just to make sure that they're ready for Wednesday, which is our first practice day of the week. And the NFL allows us to have 14 padded practices. And we'll, we'll use all of them. And that'll usually be Wednesday. So Wednesday and Thursday are very similar in terms of the length of practice. Friday is a little bit quicker, a little bit shorter. Saturday is a walkthrough. And then Sunday game day. So if we're away, we'll travel Saturday, get to the hotel at about 4 or 5 p.m. If it's a home game, then, you know, we'll break early Saturday. We'll have, you know, a big chunk of the day available to do, you know, whatever people want to do. And then we'll meet at the team hotel in the evening and just, you know, have a couple of meetings, eat a snack, and then get ready for game day. That sounds very exciting. I mean, I know it's work for you, but I'm sure you love it. That's why you're in it, um, or else you wouldn't be, because it's it's a lot of work. That is good to know, just to know the the schedule, and and I'm sure that it's somewhat similar um, depending on what uh, teams you're working with in the sports and the, at the college level. One of the questions that we got, which I think is kind of like an obvious right now, <laughs> but I got one of the questions that somebody asked is, is the strength in uh, um, conditioning, you know, certification, having those sorts of credentials, is that critical to be able to work in sports nutrition with college or, or a pro team? And I'm thinking the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, you know, it's important to have that educational foundation. Yeah. And some people scoff at going the RD path because they just want to jump straight into sports nutrition. And I, I was recently on a podcast with uh, Laurent Banat. He's out of uh, the UK, he's a, a very world-renowned sports nutritionist, so he's not a sports dietitian, even though I, th I believe they've got different certifications in the UK, around Europe, and then Australia for sports dietitians, but their background is, in, is very well-versed in exercise physiology and sports science and sports nutrition, but they don't go through the same processes that we do when we go through our internships, learning about you know, food service, community nutrition, and then the clinical aspect, which is great because, you know, even though I knew during my dietetic internship that I wasn't planning on working at a hospital or in clinical or in food service or in, you know, a specific community rotation that I had, was able to go through, but all of those things were very important because, again, in my role, I work very closely with the head chef that we have at our facility was phenomenal and they do an amazing job. And at Oregon, we had an in-house food service staff at Michigan State, we contracted out. So I was in charge of writing all those menus. So having an understanding of how does a food service operation work is very important because you're also gonna be working with the chefs and budgets and cost hmm. controls and food safety and production management and all that. I mean, that's, that's wow. very crucial and critical. But also with the clinical aspect of it, you've got to be well-versed in knowing labs. You've got to be well-versed in knowing different disease states and MNT and pathophysiology because I've had type 1 diabetic athletes in the past, celiac, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's. Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have specific injury conditions that require some medical nutrition therapy because the docs aren't necessarily going to be on board if you, unless you can actually say like, yeah, I can write a PES statement for this and this is the justification and this is why and this is what I think we need to do with the athlete. And it's not just looking at specific sports nutrition things, you're actually bringing in some of the medical background and also combining it with the sports nutrition aspect. 
and you know finish with that and talking about community nutrition now you're dealing with a lot of different populations from a lot of different backgrounds you mm-hmm. have guys from you know the country uh, guys from the inner cities guys from rural areas you know who grew up in affluent areas grew up in very poor ses areas mm-hmm. so you got to have just a general background of you know what have these people gone through what is their education level what is their level of understanding and their motivation to change you know i think all of that comes to the table to give you a solid background and then from that you have to build upon it so that's kind of the unfortunate thing domestically about sports nutrition it you don't automatically get that through the rd path unless unless you actually are able to work with sports dietitian closely whether you're a student, you're volunteering or interning at, you know, the university you're at and they've got an established sports nutrition program, or you're trying to reach out to sports dietitians around your area and just doing some volunteer free work for them and just gaining understanding of what you need to learn and know and how do you work with athletes? Because a lot of what we have to do, we have to learn ourselves because it's not a part of our curriculum. So there's the certs and all that are, are important, but they're not the end all be all because the truth is I've hired MSRDs with CSSDs in the past and they haven't been very good, mm-hmm. it, it, but it all just comes down to the person. So, if, you know, yeah. the education credentials are important. Experience is important, but ability is the most important thing and your ability to grow and learn. Good to know. I kind of want to end on a note where you started off with your family and that's because of our audience for diversified dietetics. And I um, teach at a university here in Atlanta, very diverse. And something that you mentioned about your family, when you decided to go into dietetics, um, I had a student one time who came in. Um, I was a chair of an informatics program, health IT, and he was Nigerian. He said to me, I really want to be in your program, but I have to make money because my parents said, <laughs> if I go into this pathway, <laughs> He's like, so give me something that I can take back to them. And to this day, that young man, he's doing really well, but we did have to kind of pull together like a whole presentation to present to his family. So that's something that a lot of our, um, of our community actually deals with is what you're describing because of where we come from and what our, our, our culture is and what our families aspire to, especially if they've immigrated to the United States and especially if you're the, first, the kid who's a first generation American. Um, what do your parents think and your family of you today? Oh, they're elated. They're just blown away, which is kind of funny because yeah. I never thought that I would ever even end up in the NFL. And this was, it was one of the things I talked to Laurent about is, you know, goal setting, you know, a lot of these entry-level RDs and students, they want to just jump straight to the NFL. I'm like, I didn't even think about working in the NFL when I became an RD. Like I told you, I wanted to work in a gym and be a personal trainer and dietitian and help people because that was my main goal was hopefully I could help people improve their lives and feel better and have a more positive outlook the same way that, you know, I did when I was in high school going through my own process and then, you know, kind of assessed once I finished my dietetic internship, went back home, you know, assess what's my skill set and ability. What are the opportunities in front of me? All right, going back to grad school, that's it. Did everything at K-State. What are my opportunities in front of me based on what I've learned? All right, this opportunity at Michigan State. And so from then, it just kind of snowballed. And I never, you know, like I said, I never even thought about getting a job in the NFL. And I tell people, don't set your sights that high without understanding that you have to, if you really want to be successful and have the opportunity to have a long career, in college or, or 
the professional level, you have to build a really solid base and establish yourself to a point where nothing new is going to shock you. You know, the Mm -hmm. things that these players do and things that I see 10 years ago would have shocked me and I would have been just (laughs) completely flabbergasted. But now it's just, oh, I'm used to it. It's like, I've been through it. I see it. I know how to navigate it and deal with it. Uh, But yeah, you know, it's, it's just crazy. When I first got in the field, my family just mainly my mom and dad, because Mm -hmm. they were the ones that were very supportive, you know, throughout the entire process. Luckily, you know, not necessarily negative in any way whatsoever. They just skeptical because Mm -hmm. nobody in our family had done it. Nobody they knew had done it, whether they were a person of color or not, because it wasn't well publicized. And the field is still very new in terms Mm -hmm. of sports nutrition. I mean, sports nutrition has been around for a century, even longer, but it hasn't been in the limelight and in the public like it has been over the past five years or so and it's going to continue to grow and hopefully you know we're going to have good practitioners who are very well versed and not only you know the, the skill set but also a very diverse background right of ethnicities and whatnot but yeah now even my family members from abroad you know that live in fiji or the uk they're just kind of blown away which <laughs> i think is kind of cool because i never really thought i would end up being here yeah I think it's cool. I mean, as you were writing in in your, um, your spotlight and I read that, I just kind of thought to, to a lot of the families who it's really, it's really important, obviously for our, uh, our families, for those of us on first generation American too. So who, who have, they have this expectation that they, they are the ones who are supporting us, but it's, and we always usually are very thankful for them. Um, but especially, um, you know, with athletes to have people of color, um, because that's mainly what athletes are. So that's really important too, to have that. So it's just your story, I think is a great kind of ongoing and you're still like right at the beginning of, of what you're doing. I'm sure you're going to be doing great things and very excited that Matt Frakes, uh, nominated you for spotlight and we were able to connect, um, because this is an excellent podcast. I think this one is going to kind of live on for a long time. Um, for people to come back to and to reference it. So thank you so much for your time today, Pratik. I really appreciate it, especially in the middle of the season. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for listening today. Please don't forget to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and rating. That helps more people to be able to find the Feed Me the Facts podcast. Remember, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook at Diversified Dietetics. And our website is at diversifieddietetics.org. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.